Father, thanks so much for today. Thanks for uh, just the work that you're doing in our heart. God, we pray that you would not, um, or that we would not be guilty of just being hearers of your word this weekend. But God, that as we uh, are challenged in things, that we would take these home and apply them to the way that we love and shepherd our kids. So Lord, thanks for um, just this time together as we think about uh, elementary school kids. And just ask, Lord, that you would just give us direction and wisdom. And, uh, and Lord, let us just hear from you. So Lord, thank you for these friends. Thanks for the uh, babysitters and family members that are taking care of kiddos for us this weekend. And uh, Lord, we're just grateful to be able to have this opportunity in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, I'll just start off, uh, introduce myself, and then let John and Jeannie introduce themselves. But uh, my name is Wes Butler. This is my wife, Brandy. And uh, we are uh, the uh, the very blessed parents of a couple of kids who are not quite to the elementary school age. Uh, So we have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Josiah is our oldest, and then Selah is our uh, three-year-old. And then we're actually in the process of adopting uh, another one from Ethiopia. And uh, so hopefully within the next six months or so, you'll see our little African boy running around and and, uh, laughing and playing here. But uh, we also have the privilege of getting to serve here on staff um, with the uh, single parent family ministry. And so I've been doing that for now uh, five years, which is hard to believe. And just working with a lot of families through a lot of difficult situations and uh, and working with kids. Before that, Brandy and I both have been involved in children's ministry and just working with kids. Brandy has a degree in counseling, a master's degree in counseling, wanted to uh, work with families. And so now she applies that uh, on a very liberal basis to our situation at home and uh, and does a great job. And so that's a little bit of who we are. And now I'll turn it over to John and Jean. Yeah. And so uh, I'm on staff as well. Um, you know, I worked in the hedge fund business up until about a year and a half ago and then came and joined the church. And I'm very glad these days. We have five kids and um, the oldest four are all a year and a half apart, give or take two weeks. So we have eight, six and a half, five, three and a half, and then the youngest is 18 months. And so we are right in the middle of it. And uh, you know, I think what uh, what I would say for, for both of us is is that um, uh, we are not experts in this. You know, and I think that uh, we're right in the middle of trying to figure out how are we doing it. And some days are great, and some days are not so good. And, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting because one of the things that I'm doing now is I'm coaching uh, my first graders, uh, girls kindergarten soccer team, or first grade soccer team. And uh, so the first day of practice, right, now my, now my first grader, Sydney, is the most even of our girls, right? So we have a couple of girls that are, have the highs and lows, right? Everything's drama. And in fact, if there's not enough drama, they'll create it. You know what I'm talking about with kids that create drama? Like, uh, you know, they can't find their shoes because there's always got to be something wrong. And um, Sydney's not like that. And so uh, we went out for the first day of soccer practice, and I'm coaching, and the first day, uh, there's about a half dozen dads out there, and most of the moms have come out to watch practice because it's kind of after late afternoon. Um, and so Sydney, uh, within the first five minutes, lays down on the field, no lie, and starts screaming. And she says, I'm not coaching right, and the other girls aren't kicking the ball right. Right? And it got so bad. You know, I'm thinking, great. You know, how embarrassing is this? You know, that my pregnant, I had to send her off the field. And I just said, you, you go over there and be with your mom, because you're not going to play. Like, so she goes over and throws a fit all over again in front of all the moms, right? Daddy can't coach, and the girls can't kick it right. And Jeannie starts laughing at her, which with Sydney is the worst thing you can do. And she just goes ballistic. And, um, and it's just really humbling. Isn't it? You know, when you're out in public and you want your kids to be, and they're just not. Right? And you're the coach. And I'm the coach. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, and you know, it's all these, it's a Christian, you know, school team, and it's, it's just, I'm just going, oh, this is just killing me. But she has run off the field literally four times in the, probably the two months we've played. Takes off her shoes, her socks, insists that she's done. Um, and so that's where we are. <laughs> And we've got an outline in here that you can track with us. We're just going to pass the ball back and forth. But what this really is, is uh, it's focusing in on some principles that we've found helpful um, that have worked for us with, with our kids. And the first one is just having a very clear goal for our kids. And so if you've got an outline, the, the thing that, uh, if you could take away one thing from today, it's that our goal for our kids is holiness in heaven. It's not hard. And, you know, I feel like we live in a city where the goal for our kids is Harvard. 
you know, where it's how are they doing in school and, you know, or athletically, you know, our goal is that they're a professional athlete, you know, where you've got, for first graders, you've got professional coaches. And it's just unbelievable. And so, um, just to step back and say, you know, success is that our kids um, grow up and they love God and they follow Him. And I think it's, it's easy in our culture to lose sight of that. And so, for us, uh, we've just got a couple of very clear things that I'll kind of kick this off with, which is one is this, they need to know who God is. And there, there's just two things they need to know about God. The first is God is good. Right? That He has plans for us. They're great plans. He loves us unconditionally. Um, and He is always in our corner. So we want our kids to grow up um, knowing that just at a very deep level. Which is different than how I grew up. I grew up kind of fearing God. Um, and so, you know, number one, God is good and He has good plans for us. And we need to follow Him because He knows what's best for us. And the second thing is that God is great. He's all-powerful. And, uh, you know, I was sharing um, at CR just a couple of Monday nights ago. And I was telling the story that in our lives, we get plans. You know, we develop plans for how we think life should turn out. And we expect God to bless our plans. And, um, and the Bible is very clear that, you know, God has a plan for us. And it, it's not the same plan that we have. And so what happens is, is when we're living life and something doesn't go according to our plan, um, we get bent. You know, and I think if it's if it's um, something that breaks our heart, we we do want to think two things. You can blame God, right, and say, "Look, God, I'm trying to be faithful. Why aren't you there for me? How could you let this happen to me?" Right? Or alternatively, we can blame ourselves. You know, how could I make such a stupid choice? Um, there must be some sin in my life, right? And um, and both of those cause us to doubt God's goodness and God's power. And so. Um, one of the things that we really want our kids to grow up knowing is, is who God is. And you know, there's nothing like parenting um, to realize that God's plan is different than our plan. You know? And then the second thing is, is we want our kids to know who they are. Um, first, that they know that there is a God who loves them and parents who love them. Right? Second, um, that they've been gifted in unique ways. You know, so one of the things we want our kids growing up knowing is just... Um, Here's how God has wired you in terms of the gifts and abilities He's given you. You know, I don't know how many of you out there had parents that did that, but mine never did. You know, they never said, John, ever since you were little, here's what you've loved, here's what you're good at, and do whatever you want in life. But here's some clues to who God's made you to be. And um, and then the third thing we want our kids to know about themselves is they need a savior. And uh, and so when we think about our goal being heaven. Who God is and who they are, um, and just locking down on those things. And so, what we want to do now is just talk about kind of the six A's of parenting, which has really been helpful for a construct in talking about how we parent. And if you see these on your list, what you'll know is the first two are the foundation, and you've got to have the foundation in place before you can build up from there. So, uh, acceptance and, and appreciation of the, of the foundation. The next two, affection and availability, they're the walls. And then the, the last two, accountability and authority, that's the roof. And you know, I think a lot of times the mistake we make as parents, especially with elementary school kids, is we want to start on the authority piece um, rather than the foundation. So having said that, let me turn it over. And we'll have a time for questions, hopefully at the end. If not, we'll stick around for as long as you want. So um, you know, log your questions and, and we'll get to them. So let's, uh, uh, Brandy, do you want to start off with acceptance? I'm going to talk about the first A of acceptance. Let's just read Romans 15, 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And I think um, a lot of times we don't realize that without this foundation, all of the other things you try to do on top of it just don't amount to much. Um, we see just as adults um, talk about their struggle, even even older adults, of does God really love me? And not just that, but does God really like me? And I think that we can set our kids up for success in this if we model that kind of acceptance at home. It's not such a foreign concept for them to understand that God does like them and God does love them. Um, not that we don't understand that our kids are simple and we don't train that out of them. We're not um, we're not looking through rose-colored glasses, 
but just that your kids are fearfully and wonderfully made, that your kids are, um, your kids were planned out for your family. God had those children picked out for your family. Um, another thing here just is that, uh, you know, just to be honest, this is something that I struggle with a lot with my daughter. Uh, I have a daughter that is amazing, but is not the daughter that I thought she was going to be. She has a lot of personality um, traits that are really difficult for me. An example of this is just she does not stop moving. Um, she sleepwalks. She doesn't even stop moving when she's sleeping. So <laughs> she, and because she never stops moving and she's so fast, she's really clumsy. And this is really hard for me. The 13th time that you clean up a mess, you, you're not as kind about it. Um, but there was a time that I was in the kitchen and I heard the sound of the cup hitting the floor again. And in my head, I could see the milk all over the kitchen, all over her, all over her brother. And I didn't say anything in that moment. I had enough self-control not to, to yell about it. But I, in my head, I was thinking, when are you going to learn? When are you going to slow down? When are you going to stop being so clumsy? Um, so I sent the kids in the living room and I was cleaning up and my five-year-old came in and he just didn't say anything. He just started handing me paper towels and you know, he, he knows the drill. And um, we're just sitting there and I'm not saying a word and he says to me, Mommy, Sayla sure does get excited drinking. And it was just that moment of, wow, what, just what a precious way to frame that. In my head, I'm thinking, you're so clumsy. I'm so tired of this. And in his little head, they look at really excited drinking. And just I, I, in my head, I'm thinking, my five-year-old is more accepting of my child than I am in this moment. And how convicting that was for me that in that daily struggle when I'm frustrated with what she's doing, is it a question of, am I accepting her for who she is? Or is this a sin issue? And, you know, honestly, I fail that question a lot with her. So that's, that's a really, um, that foundation is really, really important. Um, that is, I think, one of the hardest areas for me, the whole acceptance thing. Um, I don't accept myself very well. I have a pretty high standard for myself, and I have a really high standard for my kids um, because they are a reflection of me. And like it or not, that's the way I tend to parent. Um, as uh, Brandy was talking about, I want to give you two or three key verses, which is we talk about recipes for success later. Um, don't try to ingest these now, but please do take some time to reflect over them if, if this stuff is, is hitting you where you live. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which He prepared in advance for us to do. And part of elementary school parenting is you've discovered through the preschool years the building blocks of who God has made them to be in their personalities. And now you're seeing God begin to put them together into a coherent person. And they're learning to think and apply and use um, some of who they are and the truth that they've learned in every day. And so where um, appreciation comes in and fills off what Brandy is saying is we have to accept that they are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus on His agenda. We have to accept God's agenda for them, like John was talking about, and let go of what we, what plans we have to prosper them and give them hope in the future. And that's where we can get really off, especially in elementary school, is they're supposed to be signed up for all these things now so that in high school and college they can do all the things that we think they're supposed to do. I mean, you know, they need a skills coach now or they will never play skills with soccer. You know, it's just the treadmills that we get on. Um, and one of the biggest ways, um, God has given me the gift of gab, and probably some of you have that, and words, the power of words, where appreciation comes in. Words, um, in Proverbs 18:21, it talks about words hold the power of life and death, and those who love them will eat their fruit. Um, Proverbs 15:21 says, pleasant words promote instruction. And then where it just slays me is Proverbs 14:1 says, a wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, a foolish one tears her stand. And when that plays back into Ephesians 4.29, where it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen like all the other kids around you, is the words I use have the power of life and death with my kids. And if I'm coming down on them in a critical and ungodly and unrighteous way, in an angry way, I'm not promoting instruction. I'm promoting bitterness 
and uh, estrangement within our relationship, exasperation. Um, I'm not focusing on um, building them up for their good. And the guy who introduced and married John and I always said, catch them doing stuff right, because we worked with junior high, senior high kids. And then, in, then encourage and praise that. Don't condemn them for the way they're not behaving well. Which the key to appreciation, which is what Brandy was talking about, accepting who God made them to be and appreciating their distinct role within our body. One of the things John was pointing out to me is that they are made in God's image for His purpose and His plan, not to fulfill my agenda for them. And they, um, I need to appreciate the differences, how they're not like me. I have one child that just cannot find the nose on her face. And I... Takes out for me. I feel like, you know, I have a bit more of a photographic memory and I keep up with stuff better at least in theory, and it just drives me crazy. And I really catch myself a lot of times berating her and um, tearing her down in ways that's not appropriate just because it makes us late getting out the door. And um, then I look bad. You know, and it's just it's just backwards. And so I've got to find the ways that God made her. He made her more global. He made her big picture. He made her macro. Find those gifts and talents and the treasure in her when she's like that and build and encourage those things and that's why God made us a body. That's why he gave her a mama who knows where her soccer shoes are. You know? And just do my part and let her do her part within the body and appreciate the differences in the roles within the family. And with our words, the way you appreciate them and something I just need to take home is build up their character and who they are, not what they do. Our world revolves around um, a misunderstanding that what we do determines who we are and it's truly what who we are that determines what we do and that's subtle but it's very very powerful um, find out who they are and then they'll discover what they do just like John was saying who they are and avoid the performance traps as you praise them which is what this boils down to build them up with your words is the bottom line praise who they are not their performance or we're just going to have a bunch of little good performers who just go for the applause and go for the pats on the back. Um, Sydney, you tried so hard today at soccer. You played your heart out. Not, that was a great goal, and I love the way you, you know, defended that and you did this. Um, try to focus on who they were in the moment, not what they did. Even in the moments when they fail. Um, and then the whole thing, you know, if you've got an artist and you've got somebody, not the beauty of what they create, but their attention to detail and how, how diligent they are and how um, much time they took with something, how patient they were in seeing it come together, to celebrate the character. Um, and find something to put by your sink. A friend of mine gave us an Eiffel Tower when they got married um, because she says, you know, in Paris you're always looking for the Eiffel Tower, and they got married in Paris. And Joe, the guy who married us, always said, um, catch them doing something right and put something in front of you to remind them that in the non-critical moments to just praise them. You know, I see who you are becoming and I love it. And use your words to do that. Yeah, and I would say one of the great times to do that is at, at dinner time at night. If we, um, you know, we'll play games at dinner time. Now, to be clear, right, trying to keep the, the attention of a one-and-a-half-year-old and a, a three-year-old and a five-year-old, it's, it's not easy, right? And you got kids laying on their backs and you know, trying to get upset. But um, we'll do stuff like, hey, tell us what was the best part of your day and what was the worst part of your day, right? We'll do stuff like, hey, tonight we're going to praise Sydney. Okay, let's everybody go around the room and we'll say something good about Sydney. Right? And then, well, okay, now we're going to go around the room and say something good about Jay. Um, and just get in the habit of, of trying to build that in. Um, and then one of the things I'll do at night, it, it's just at bedtime. So whenever I pray for them, I'm like, dear God, thank you for letting me be, you know, Caitlin's daddy. I love being Caitlin's daddy. And, um, and I'm so thankful you care for me. You know, so it's little, it's the little deposits, not the big ones. And so you're just trying to get as many as you can in many different parts of the day. And that third A is affection. Uh, John 15, 12 through 13. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than he laid down his life for his friends. And this is really just um, the outward expression of those first two, of the acceptance and appreciation. Not just the physical affection that we have with our kids, but verbally how we affirm them, how we build them up. Um, and there's really two things here that I want to talk about. Just uh, as kids get a little bit older into elementary school, I see a lot of parents maybe pulling away from their kids a little bit uh, with affection. 
uh, maybe some dads are uh, not as comfortable with their daughters in this, or mothers maybe pull away a little bit from their sons in this. And I just want to emphasize that uh, this is the time where kids are starting to grow closer towards puberty, starting to notice the opposite sex a little bit, and really starting to get their ideas of what that looks like, what those relationships look like, what's appropriate. Um, and parents are going to be the ones to set those up. You don't want them learning those parameters from anyone else but you. Um, our son is just a complete snuggler for me and would just give me hugs all day long if I let him and I do let him. Um, so there will come a day that he kind of pulls away from me. Um, if you see me crying at church, it's probably happened, so you can ask me about it. But I know there's coming a day when he's not going to hug me 13 times a day and um, snuggle me as much as I want to. But there's a part of me as a mom that wants that, but to be respectful of him, um, to die to myself and what makes me feel good, builds up trust in him. And for our kids, when they start pulling away from us, it's easy to kind of force that issue. Um, but to show them that you respect their wishes, uh, not that you're not affectionate with them, but that you respect their new boundaries, tells them how God respects us, how he doesn't force himself on us either. and just really builds up that sense of trust in them. Yeah, and just one uh, minor thing to add on here, just uh, with that, Brandy kind of touched on it, uh, but uh, we are all created for affection. Like, we all have a, a need and a desire for that physical affection, for that emotional uh, affection. And so if we as parents don't give that to our kids, they will find it somewhere else. Uh, and, and as you look, as you look at kids uh, or, or uh, grown-ups uh, down the road who struggle with um, uh, typically, you know, relationship addiction and, and different things like that, oftentimes you will find a big miss in the area of physical affection in the home that they grew up in. That they didn't have a daddy who loved them and hugged them. They don't have a mama that, that just you know wrap their arms around them. And so this is really, I think, key as it is an outward expression of the appreciation and. Uh, and, and the acceptance of them that we don't neglect uh, that piece of, of our responsibility as parents. Yeah. I think um, right on top of that, that's where the availability comes from. And if we are not available to our kids, then we will not be giving them the affirmation that they need through the words because we just won't be available. We'll be somewhere planning our own agendas or doing our own things and we won't be affectionate with them because we just won't have anything left over. And uh, the thing I want to say about this area, about being available, um, comes boils down to prioritizing and budgeting. Now, if you talk about money with me, you're going to have a sore subject because I'm horrible in terms of just budgeting, in terms of money. But when it comes to emotional and resources and priorities and things like that. Some of you, and we've talked about this before, but we have to prioritize our big rocks each day. And it, a lot of availability for those of us who work, for those of us who are doing this by ourselves, for those of us who just have way too much to get to in the course of the day, um, we have to budget well and we have to go into each day knowing this is my limited amount of time with my child. This is my limited amount of emotional and physical resources. How am I going to allocate those towards the most important things first? And uh, Proverbs 3, 27 um, through 28 say, Discipline your child and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. So take the time to train and that takes some planning. If we fail to plan, we plan to fail. Um, know without restraint the people envision. The people show no restraint and they throw it all off. But blessed is the man who keeps your law. A servant, um, I am reading the wrong verse. Thank you so much. That's my next thing. Is that not just me? Okay. Yep. Proverbs 3, 27 through 28. Sorry. Erase that. Save that for modeling. So where's she going with that? Go to Proverbs 3, 27 through 28. Do not withhold good when it is within your power to give it from those who deserve it. Okay. Do not say, come back later. I'll give it to you later. The time is now. The, um, the window is now with our kids. And my sister always says they just need eyeball time. When you are getting nowhere, rearrange the letters and decide to be now here. And um, sometimes the guilt or our frustration or whatever just prevents us from emotionally being physically present with our children, even much less being there on a spiritual or mental basis with us. And we feel like that um, in our family, 
We just have to budget well, and that's what it boils down to emotionally. Make a to-do list. If something goes down on a list for me, and I know a lot of you ladies are like this, it will happen. But most of the time, the things I put on my to-do list are do the laundry, get to the grocery store, feed the cat. I mean, things like that. It's not sit down and do a puzzle, okay? Sit down and take five minutes to unpack their day with them and write it down. See it physically down, and then you'll be so surprised how much follows from that. And then um, something that talks about... Uh, John, it just slays me. I did a lot of this last week by myself, and um, Emily Jane had this stack of books that she wanted to read, and she's my nocturnal one, so I'm like, no, it's, that's no brainer. I'll just wait till all the rest of them are asleep, and then I'll just read her to sleep. And I kept packing lunches, and I kept getting my stuff together so I could get out the door the next day easier and doing all these little things, and I went up, and she had fallen asleep with her little arms wrapped around those books. And I had missed the window. And it just killed me because I'm like, that's, I had it on my list of things to do that day. 20 minutes reading to each of them. And I, um, I just let the urgent take over, the tyranny of the urgent take over. And I'm sick even still about that. And John is a very nocturnal fella. And he always looks at me and he says, save some for later. You know, and he's just, we have to, we only, so we're finite. You know, God is infinite. We're not. And if we, we budget our time to get things done to please all these people outside our home, um, and we just don't leave enough for the people inside our house. And so I really encourage you that whatever amount of time you have, if it's two hours at the end of the day, to feed them well, give them some scripture, which we'll talk about in one of the next points, some recipes for life along the way. Pour, pray some scripture over them. Feed some scripture to them as you talk with them, as you walk along the road. And then leave some time for bedtime to really help them unpack their hearts. And that whole just too tired and, and you'll forget my kids look at me all the time. You've got to make a list and put the areas you want to discuss at bedtime in a non-critical moment on a list for later in the day because um, you will forget. So three quick things on that. I think one of the things that Jeannie does especially well is this, uh, once the, the kids, so three of ours are in school, and as soon as they're out the door, she'll sit down and read with the younger two. Right? And that's just a do the important stuff first. Because you're never going to have enough time to get everything done. And you get into this mindset that you've got this to-do list, and you just got to crank these things out. And so you put the kid in front of the TV or you know something like that to get all these other things done, and then you run out of time. And I think for dads, two lessons that really come home to me is all of our free time is at night and on the weekends. And at night, where I used to get myself into real trouble is, is I would come home with this agenda thinking I was going to get two or three or four things done at night. And, um, and then I was just squeezed, and you know, I see dinner's over and I'm trying to get the stuff. And, um, and I finally just had to say, hey, guess what? You can do one thing at night. Um, and that doesn't happen until after the kids go down. And so the middle image that I've got in my mind is I come home and I'm the relief pitcher. You know, I'm, I'm coming in in the seventh inning, and it's my job to get us from the seventh inning through the ninth inning. Not just in terms of caring for kids, but pouring into kids. And um, so that's what I do at night. And then one of the things that I'll do on the weekends is, is I've got this breakfast date thing um, where on a rotating basis, every Saturday morning, I'll take one of the kids out for breakfast. And the idea is they can pick the restaurant, and it's just we'll go and we'll sit down, and I'll, and I'll just let them talk. You know, I'll start asking all these questions. And, um, you know, I'm starting early enough where they really care whose turn it is. You know, if someone says missed their turn or has lost their turn or... Um, and then inevitably, you know, we'll go to the dollar store and they can get one item, you know, and that's a big kick for them too, you know, in terms of getting them a present or something like that. But um, the weekends just fly by if you don't do that. So first thing Saturday morning, it's like, okay, an hour and a half, we're going to spend time together. All right. Uh, so just real quickly on these last two A's. And so, so as we've said, there's the foundation of the acceptance and uh, uh, the... Why is that? Second, appreciation. Uh, you know, and then these walls of affection and availability. And so now that the, the roof, and as John has already said, just the temptation is that, that the roof becomes the foundation uh, for most of us, that we, we want these last two before we uh, really, uh, and in fact, these last two uh, are conditions on acceptance and appreciation oftentimes. And so if we build from the bottom up, and if these two are, are the roof, then, uh, then these are just great points. And so the first one is just accountability. And 
And I want to clarify that, that as we think about accountability, as Todd said last night, just that the kids don't, uh, they often miss what we say, but they very rarely miss what we do. Uh, and so as we think about accountability, I would just uh, uh, want to specify that as really mutual accountability. That as you think about your relationship with your kids, that it's not just them being uh, accountable to you, but it is you being accountable to them. And especially at this life stage uh, in elementary school, this is a great time. And I think you start it early, um, uh, uh, you know, even earlier than elementary age, but uh, especially in elementary age, to give your kids freedom to call you out as a parent. Uh, to to uh, encourage your kids to let them know, hey, these are the things specifically that mommy and daddy struggle with uh, as, as it relates to how we want to parent you and shepherd you. And so if you see daddy's anger or his temper getting out of control, you have my permission. Uh, and giving them that accountability from your end. And that's the best way then to model that for them uh, in the way that you, you love and encourage them. So James 5.16 just says, Confess your sins and uh, pray for one another so that you may be healed. And so if we are uh, doing that uh, on a regular basis, it brings about healing. Uh, it brings about life in our relationships and our parenting. So this is just the whole idea of iron sharpening iron. And, and even the idea of, you know, Gary Thomas has written uh, a few books and so one of them is sacred marriage that a lot of us have read and the other is sacred parenting. And it's the same idea, which is that anything that, that God has given us stewardship of, he is using as a means by which we might become more like him. Uh, and so as we think about parenting, the reality is as much as we hoped and dreamed maybe that these kids would just fulfill us and bring us happiness and joy all the time, uh, the reality is that they don't. And the reality is that whether they bring us happiness and joy or whether they bring us pain and strife, that God can use that to make us more like himself. And that is, that, that's the reason why this accountability piece is so huge, is that you acknowledge before your kids, and then that your kids acknowledge before you what their struggles are, what their sins are, uh, and, and then that you have freedom to say, hey, uh, you know, please forgive me uh, as a parent. And so you know, even with, with my five-year-old, this has happened where Brandy and I are having a discussion in the car, you know, and, uh, and Josiah's sitting in the back listening to this, and all of a sudden he's going, hey, didn't Daddy say something about, you know, gentle answer turns away something, you know, and so he's like, hey, Daddy, raise my hand in the back seat, um, is that a gentle answer, you know, and I'm like, shut up, kid, you know, so, uh, but, but what a great opportunity just to look back and go, man, you know what, you're right, son. Uh, and please forgive me for the way that I've treated your mom. Oftentimes it's, please forgive me the way that I've treated you. Uh, and then it, it makes it so much easier for him to come to his daddy or to his mama and say, hey, boy, I messed up. I messed up. Please forgive me. And so, uh, and one other thing on here that I hear from teachers, and so I kind of want to speak on the behalf of teachers, is that the lack of accountability in the home is crushing teachers in the schools. Because often what's happening is that kids are coming in and they're messing up or they're, they're having a tough time in school. And because parents aren't instilling in them that, hey, this is your responsibility. You are accountable for that. Uh, instead, kids are coming home and saying, well, my teacher is a lousy teacher. They were a better teacher. And then parents buy it. And they go to parent-teacher conferences and yell at teachers and say, hey, if you were a better teacher, my little Johnny would be a better student. Uh, and I think it, that falls squarely on our shoulders to say, hey, little Johnny, can I tell you that you need to look in the mirror and figure out what is your part in this uh, and be accountable on that. And then the second deal is the authority piece. Again, and, and this is, I'll go through this really quickly, but Proverbs 19.20 that says, listen to advice and accept instruction and, and in the end you will be wise. And I think it is so important for us as parents uh, to be an authority figure, but to make sure that our kids understand who our authority is as we are their authority. And so if you think about the story of Jesus and the centurion, when the centurion came to Christ and said, hey, look, I need you to heal my, my, my son and our servant, I believe it was. And, you know, then Jesus kind of goes, well, who do you think I am? He goes, look, I see it. He said, I am one who is under authority, and I have ones who are under, you know, under my authority. And I see you, Jesus, as the same, as one who is answering to a greater authority and one who uh, has the authority over many. And, and, and so I think as parents, it is uh, often our responsibility to consistently point our kids back to, look, this is not daddy's rule. This is not mommy's rule. This isn't just because we feel like it or we're tired or whatever. This is God's rule. 
and He is the authority in our lives, not uh, not just our, our own uh, you know desires at any given moment. But as we look at the rules that we set in our home, we ought to be able to trace them back to the truth of God's word and the authority of God over our home. And that as he has given us stewardship of that, uh, that, that we are faithful with that. And so be an authority in your home, but make sure that your kids are well aware that you are an authority because God placed you there and that he is your authority. Josiah, was, uh, we were singing some, uh, some song in the car the other day, and it was just a song around children obey your parents in the Lord, you know. And all of a sudden it was like this light bulb went on for my five-year-old, and he goes, oh, it's daddy. So mommies and daddies listen to God, and then kids listen to parents, you know? And I was like, aha! And I was just like, man, the simple childlike faith and the reality of that, that I long for my kids to think, look, daddy doesn't do that just because it's daddy's idea, but because it's God's idea. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that's, that's especially true about that is when our kids grow up, it's really important for them to understand that they are under authority, right? Because when they leave the home, they think they're in charge of their lives, and they're not. Right? They're accountable to God. And so you build that in at a very young age. Um, and you model that as a parent. So they begin to understand that we're accountable to one greater than us. And that we, we're followers you know, of Christ. Um, the, the other thing that, you know, the way I'm with you in, the way, in our house that services is you get pushback from kids. And you know, you'll tell them something and then, you know, why or I don't want to do that or whatever. Uh, one great thing to stop that is I would just look at them and go, are you the boss in our family? And, um, and it inevitably provokes one of two responses. Either they tell me they are the boss, and then, and then they start laughing, right? Because they, they realize, I'm going to tickle them, because they're not the boss, right? Or they'll say, no, Daddy, you're the boss, right? And, you know, so it's, and then we'll say, okay, and who's the boss of Daddy? God. God's the boss of Daddy. Um, so even in an elementary school age, you can start driving that deep in them. So... Now, let's move on to this, this next set of the notes. And these are just ideas um, that we found really helpful in parenting, you know, kind of with elementary kids. And the first one, in terms of discipling kids, is, is uh, you've got to be proactive, not reactive. So, um, you know, the McGees were sharing this morning about discipling your kids and had a whole session on that. And they said, you know, uh, John said that one of his big issues is, is being passive. Um, and passivity just surfaces when you don't have a plan. And so uh, Todd talked about this a lot last night. He and I actually had a conversation about it yesterday where we said, you know, the lowest level of parenting, which Todd called just providing for someone's life, um, in our house we call free roam. It's when our kids are on free roam. And that is, is they're in the house, right? But we're not really watching them because we got stuff we're doing. And inevitably, they get in trouble. You know, inevitably, it's just... You know, it's one of those kinds of things that's just a constant reminder. Um, and once you move from providing life form to providing love form, that's a lot of times where I'll stop. Because what I'll do is I'll think my job is to come home at night and wrestle them and love them and encourage them, right? With no thought about what I'm building into them. With no thought about how am I teaching them to make decisions? How am I teaching them to put others first? And so, um, you know, that last level of discipling is really, here's my plan. Um, and, you know, I may fall off the plan sometimes, but I'm always going to try and get back on the path as quick as possible. And so a lot of times, that's really taking the Bible and helping them to learn what biblical truths are. And so, um, you know, one of the ways that that surfaced most tangibly for us this year is, is um, Caitlin, our third grader, right? So the first day of school this year is picture day. And um, so Caitlin, you know, gets dressed up, and she goes in, and she gets her picture taken. And then she says to one of the little girls in her class, um, do you think I smile pretty? And the little girl says, well, let me see you smile. And, um, and, she, and Caitlin smiled, and she says, no, she says, your teeth are yellow, and I don't like your haircut. And can you just imagine? You know, and um, that's what's happening to our kids when they go into school. And, you know, thank God for Jeannie, because what Jeannie's been doing with them is saying, how, at home, just practicing with them. How do you respond if someone says something mean about you? You know, and so we'll practice that at home. And so Caitlin, um, to her credit, she just says, she says, well, let me see your smile. And the little girl smiles, and she says, I love your smile. You know, that's what we want our kids to be. We want them to be encouragers and lovers and putting other people first, right? And, and it's really through this practicing at home because you know that's what's going to happen when they get to school. 
And, you know, little kids, even first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade, it just gets worse about who the good athletes are and who's pretty and who's, right? And to teach your kid um, to focus on others first, that's what we do at night, you know? And I wish we could, I wish we could say we're a lot more consistent about it, but that's what it's like to have a plan, right? Where we're trying to say, you know, okay, what's our theme for the month? What are we trying to build into our kids this month so that they can go out into the world and practice? You know, and um, so in in uh, on the way to school, I get to drive our two oldest most days, and we practice that kind of stuff. You know, which is okay, guys. How are we going to be kind today? How are we? You know, God wants us to love Him and love others. How are we going to love others today? You know, what if someone says something mean to you? How do you respond? Right, and we're just taking Scripture and just helping them to understand that, and then practicing what that looks like. So hopefully, when they land in those situations. Um, they'll know what to do, you know. And um, C- Caitlin came home that night and, and told us that story just about what um, she had done. And man, it was one of the biggest celebrations at our house. You know, we just were one, we want to reward that kind of thinking. Um, but that's when we talk about having a plan. You know, it's just trying to say what's the scale I'm looking at at night. We've got ten family values, um, and it's things like others first, right? We pay before we play, right? Um, God's the boss. And um, we've actually uh, written them, you know, we went to one of these pottery places where you can put them on plates. And we put those messages on plates. And, you know, that's a way you can reinforce it. You can just, you know, different plates each, you know, around the table. And, okay, that's yours, others first. You know, let's talk about it. Someone tell me a story about how they put others first today. Um, and it's just that constant seeding. That, that's really what discipling kids is. And it's helping them to, you know, to love other people well. So that's the um, the thing in terms of how we've approached it, and uh, and what I would say is, is it, you think it makes you a great parent, and, and it's really hard, right? Because the tension's all over the place, and they don't listen, and you're trying to say, okay, what did you hear me say? And they can't repeat it, right? It's not easy, and it's just something you've got to be doggedly determined to do, and um, and don't try and do everything at once. Just pick one thing. What's one character trait? What's one way God wants us to live? And how are we going to drive that deep and spend a week on that or a month on that or as long as it takes? So, And obviously part of the discipleship is this whole idea of discipline. And we won't spend uh, too long on this. But just a couple of things to think of. So one is just that our purpose and discipline should be shaping heart and not shaping behavior. Uh, you know, we, we can uh, put a lot of little boundaries in place to make our kids do certain things and to act certain ways, but, but that's not our goal. Our goal is to, to allow God and ask God to change their hearts. Uh, and I think that's really key, too, that we realize that we are not uh, the changer of hearts, uh, that God alone is. And so I think this is where prayer comes in uh, hugely for us as we just think about our kids and, and even acknowledge uh, what it is they struggle with. I know uh, some of you probably went to Jim and Judy when release. Uh, deal this morning just on prayer, and I remember uh, hearing from Jim one time just saying, hey, uh, you know, if, if there was something I wish I could do, it said, I wish that early on when I began to see some of the discipline uh, struggles that my kids were going to have in different areas, that I would have prayed for those specific struggles for them on a regular basis. Uh, and so I think, you know, for all of us, I, I remember looking at Josiah when he was two and realizing this kid is going to struggle uh, with being taught. Uh, he just, you know, he, he doesn't want anybody to show him how to do anything. He can figure it out on his own, and he gets mad. Uh, and I just thought, man, God, will you build in him a teachable spirit, a humble spirit that asks for help when he needs it, specifically, God, of you. Uh, and, and so I think those are some things that we need to do as we think about disciplining our kids. And so then as we are thinking about in the moments when our kids are doing things that, that they shouldn't be doing, that, that we really, uh, it's been helpful for me to have this distinction between Punishment versus discipline. And, and I would just say this, that oftentimes punishment is what makes us as parents feel better. Right? Uh, it's the quick slap on the rear end, or it's the quick go to your room and get away from me because I just can't stand your, your tantrum or whatever. And oftentimes it is more for our benefit than it is for the benefit of the child. And God has called us as parents to be disciplinarians, that we would disciple our kids through discipline, that we would teach them the whys behind the what. Uh, that, that as we discipline them, as we say, hey, this, uh, you know, the, this uh, luxury that you've had, we are going to pull it away from you for a season. But I want you to understand why you used to be able to play with your Xbox and you don't get to for the next week. 
I want you to understand why and what I hope that you, you remember. And, and even to instill in them, hey, every time you think, man, I really wish I could play that game that you know, I long to play, uh, that it causes you to remember uh, that, that God has asked you to be someone different. He's asked you to develop this character trait in there. And so Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 is this verse that I just love. It says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. The greatest, uh, one of the greatest demonstrations of our love and acceptance of our children is the way that we discipline them. Uh, and so, um, and then just the last thing there, we, we just marked down this childishness versus foolishness. And I think uh, the, the difference is this, is that there are certain things that our kids do, whether it's spilled milk, uh, that, that's not necessarily them being childish, uh, I'm sorry, being foolish and making a foolish decision, but it's just a, a matter that, hey, they're three and that's what they're going to do, right? Uh, and when we see a little baby throwing a temper tantrum, you know, uh, we just say, well, that's what babies do, as opposed to when we see a, a, a kid of ours throwing a temper tantrum on a soccer field, we go, hey, that, that is not just childishness. That is foolishness, and that is what demands discipline uh, from us as parents, and so just to be cautious of that. And just to add to that really fast, um, I think it's easy when you have an easy kid to think that this doesn't apply to you, that uh, the discipline and shaping behavior, our five-year-old doesn't like to be taught, but he's also very obedient. One thing he did a, a while back was tell me, you know, Joel got in trouble for throwing rocks on the playground. And I said, were you throwing rocks? And he looked at me and said, Mommy, I don't ever make bad choices. And just that little part of being a little Pharisee, of, no, I'm going to point out all the mistakes of kids around me, but I don't, I don't ever make those choices. That has been you know, just as much a discipline issue as his sister, who is a lot more outward in her disobedience. So just um, to caution you that... That's actually, I think, a little bit harder for us, for me, to, to look at Josiah and say, I need to discipline you in that, that you are not better than other kids, um, that you do make bad choices, and you're, the judgment of these other kids is just as bad as what they're doing. That's a very easy trap to fall into. Okay, guys, I don't know if the sleepies have hit you from after the meal, but stretch and kind of, whoop, set in, that meal is setting in. We're going to um, wrap this up for you guys, and we're going to combine um, points five and seven and just kind of give you some images to walk away with. How does this apply to elementary school parents? Okay, we're sitting here, obviously most of us still are in the preschool, early childhood range. The image, there are two or three images I want to leave you with, especially for the guys. I want to think about the player-coach relationship, okay? For the women, I want you to think that you can be players and coaches too, but recipes, okay? We are modeling the behavior for them that we want them to emulate. It says um, in the Bible, and this is where we'll go to the Proverbs 29, 7-19, Discipline your child and he will give you peace. Bring, he will bring delight to your soul. Without a vision, the people throw off restraint. The people perish. But a wise man obeys your law. Servant, A servant cannot be corrected by mere words. Though he understands, he will not respond. We have to model for them in the day-in, day-out living what we want them to do. Now, I love cooking. A lot of my life right now revolves around food and being in the kitchen. Therefore, it revolves around recipes and not recipes that I have to go and have 10 steps and 15 ingredients and all that stuff to make work. I need ones that are in my head, on my heart. I know when I go to the grocery store, I can make work. Our children are no different, especially if they are in elementary school. You can teach them the cute little Bible songs and the Bible verses when they're preschool, and that's fun. Now they're living it. They're in the game every day. You probably have a lot less time with your kid, if you're like me, than you did before. So they have to have, for you guys, they have to have a playbook that is as available as their wrist as you watch those football players with their plays right there. They need constant contact with God as their coach and with you as their parent to unpack those things when they come on and off the field. But that's where like the availability comes in and stuff like that. We have to have um, that stuff ready and available to them. And so what I would like to leave you with in terms of modeling is thinking about the 8 to 10 passages that you as a parent are the 8 to 10 plays that you as a dad want them to know cold. 
I would encourage you to start out with Philippians 2. If you don't like Philippians 2, go to some Proverbs and think situational ethics. Think two-minute drill for you football-minded people. What are they going to do at game time in the situational situation? For those of you still with little ones, think Barbies, think little people. Get them out. Use them. Incorporate them into your play. This little girl walked up to that little girl and she said blah, 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 and put them in those scenarios. And don't only just tell them what you would say, marry it to the scripture. Caitlin's scripture for that is, do not return evil with evil, but with a blessing. Because to this you recall that you may inherit a blessing from First Peter. They've got to know those verses. And just like Todd talked about last night, they have to be written on the tablets of their heart. They can't always go find a Bible and look them up. And right now is the window for us to model that. And I would encourage you to think about what recipes do your child know for how to repent, like Wes talked about. Do they have a recipe for how to say, I'm wrong and I'm sorry, and the verses to go with it? Do they have recipes for rest, to know when they're too busy and they're too frazzled and they're too fried to even respond in the right way? They're too tired. Do they know how to rest? Do they know how to make chocolate chip cookies? Do they know how to make chocolate cake? Do they know how to make pancakes? Um, my Sydney is, loves to cook as well as play soccer. And so um, there are phases of leadership, which is where we're going with the teaching responsibility and giving it away in point number nine, I think. But there are phases of leadership that you need to model for your children. Jesus did this as you look in um, Luke. What is it that we have for that? Luke 10, where he has he sends out the 72. Here's your phases of leadership in elementary school. They're in grades kindergarten and one. You do it, they're with you. Okay, they hit grades one and two. They do it, you do it, and they're in it with you. They're not just watching you, they're doing it with you. Sydney went from watching me get out all the ingredients and make pancakes to holding the things while I, you know, would pour them in little at little, and she watched me and she was there on the stool with me. I didn't just make them for her. Then she went to work, which is so painful, I just can't see straight. She did it, and I was with her right there. I was the one helping her reach the things she couldn't reach, but she was really doing it, and it's messy. And then she's now, she can get all the ingredients out. She can mix up the batter. She knows the recipe by heart. She can make our pancakes and put them on the table, and I don't touch a thing except to help her clean up. And she's in first grade. Yeah, okay. so to be clear, that, that's the, the four phases of leadership. That applies to leadership in business. In anything. But it, phase one is you do it and they watch. Yeah. Right? So they watch you. Not, you don't just tell them. You show them. Yeah. Okay? And then phase two is, is you do it they help. Right? So now you're giving them a piece in, in the role. Phase three is, is they do it and you help them. Yeah. But they're the ones who are leading the direction. And then finally in phase four, right? They do it and you watch. Yeah. Now, as a parent, right, parents will tend to do one of two things. Either they'll want to do it because it's quicker, it's faster, the kid will screw it up, right? And they never they never want to move to the awkward stage where the kid begins to help or when the kid begins to take that leadership role in phase three. And so there's some parents who just, you know, insist on doing themselves and they are not giving their kids the responsibility to help them grow, right? The other problem is that parents will want to move through those phases of leadership too quickly. And so all of a sudden, they'll thrust decision-making responsibility or tasks or chores or something like that, and then just pull back and say, you go get it done. And um, then they just leave the kid unprepared. And so that four phases of leadership really works well. Think about money, teaching your kids about money. Okay? How um, can they watch you as you begin to do budgets and finances and money? Because they're at a good spot right now. Um, one of the things we did is we just took our kids to the, to the state fair, which, you know, as anyone who knows goes, that's just like money flying out of your pockets, right? Um, but what we did was we said, okay, each kid gets 24 tickets, okay? And you can spend it on rides, you can spend it on food, right? And uh, we have, you know, one of our kids is a saver, they hoard their tickets, another kid just spends them really quickly. But that is a great life lesson, because in about 15 minutes, she was out of tickets, right? And then she had to spend the next hour and a half tracking around with the rest of us while they spent their tickets. Those are the kinds of experiences you want to give your elementary school kids, right? Where there are real choices and real consequences. Um, and so you set up environments where you can give them responsibilities in phases two and phase three.
You know, there's a lot of times where each one of our kids at home is responsible for cleaning the room. And they, they know their rooms, but there's times when I'll say, okay, you're in charge, but I'll help. Right? So you just tell me what you want me to do. And that's phase three. Right? As you're steadily working through, so that when they're 16, 17, 18, they know how to make good decisions, they know how to handle finances, they can go to the Word, you know, and apply it to real life. Um, it's the four phases of leadership. So, I'm sorry. I yeah, no, I love it. Um, what, what I want to say is we are so concerned about their recipes for success academically and athletically, but I want to finish that list for you. Make sure they have a recipe for a quiet time how they spend time with God and let them see you doing it. You are the model. They will do what we do, not what we say. As much as we'd like to believe otherwise, we breed ourselves. And if you are too busy to have a quiet time, Mom, your kids are too busy to have a quiet time. And if they don't see you on your knees praying before God or praying with them and experience that and it's always crammed in at the end when you're just too tired... That's what they will model. We are breeding ourselves. And I'm saying this with all ten fingers and toes pointing at me. Okay? It's neglect that we're teaching them. Neglect God's Word. Neglect the discipline, spiritual discipline. Because the other stuff is really more important. That's what we're saying by our actions. In elementary school, action is everything. And so, breed that. Breed a heart for serving. If you're too busy to serve, your kids will grow up too busy to serve. Um, for rest, for struggling well, and that's what Wes hit on so well. Breed a child that can say, I'm wrong and I'm sorry, very easily. And practice repentance with each other, keeping short accounts. Let that be the model so that you can truly say, follow me as I follow Christ. Not just as I talk about it. Because, I mean, right now, for me, talk is so cheap. And they just aren't listening. Um, but let your, your walk and do your talking. If, you're, if it's such. And um, the verse that I want to wrap up in, and this is the prayer I have for each of us. If your heart is wise, my child, my heart will be glad. My inmost being will rejoice as you, your lips, speak what is right. Out of the overflow of their hearts, their mouth is going to speak and they're going to model what we're doing for them. And um, one of the other things that I um, wanted to leave you with is just the playbook, the recipe things that... Um, we are giving them either recipes for life or recipes for disaster by what we model for them. Really, really taking strides toward it. We need you to lead in those spiritual disciplines in our homes. We need you to pray with and before your children and to have the quiet times in front of them. One of the most convicting things that has ever happened for me as a mom, as you can tell, I talk a lot and I preach to them all the time about God's Word and we know these verses and blah, blah, blah. And Caitlin, one of the times John was traveling, and she went in and she was sitting at her desk and she had her little children's Bible and she had a little yellow highlighter and she was going through highlighting stuff. And this is really just as she was learning to read. She couldn't have been knowing much about what she was reading at the time. But I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm having a quiet time. And I'm like, you are. And for all my preaching and all my teaching, you know, I had never sat down at John's desk and had a quiet time. And I don't know that he had ever had a conversation with her about a quiet time at that point in time. But she had seen him do it. And she was modeling what she saw. You know, talk is cheap. That's all I've got to say. Let them see you using the recipes for life that you have um, and applying them to your everyday. Yeah, and hey, two quick things just to wrap up. One is this elementary school kids are great observers. Mm -hmm. They're terrible interpreters, right? And where you see this um, is this, like, think about divorce situations. Right? Little kids see it, they're great observers, but how do they interpret it? It's all my fault. You know, how often have you heard little kids say that, right? And that's not just true in the big things, it's true in the little things, right? So, for example, if your child comes home and someone said something mean to them, right? They're great observers, but they might, they might tag the wrong interpretation of that. Which is, you know, I'm ugly, I'm slow, I'm whatever, right? And what you really want to say is, is hey, let's unpack that. You know, why do you think so-and-so said that about you, right? Um, one of the things is, uh, when I'm angry, it's easy for my kids to internalize that I'm mad at them. And it's just saying to them, honey, I'm frustrated about this, it's not you. And so, we need to help them interpret life, life in light of what, what is the right interpretation and in light of the Bible. Because um, otherwise, you know, they'll see stuff, but then when they put it together in their little minds, it'll just, it'll come out with the wrong interpretation. So.
Matt, just the last thing as we wrap up is, is simply this. It is never too late to start to do the right thing. Uh, and so just as, even as we consider uh, the mistakes that we've made in the past, the, the, uh, uh, the ways that we have failed to really honor Christ with, with this stewardship of this responsibility, it is not, the, uh, not too late for us just to start to obey Christ. And I think it's really crucial for us as parents to, to realize this, that when we stand before God someday in heaven, we will not give an account for our children's behavior. We'll give an account for what we did about our children's behavior while they were in our home and how we sought to be obedient to Christ, not how they sought to be obedient to Christ. And so it is never too late for us to start to do the right thing, not necessarily because we're going to all of a sudden turn the tide of our children's existence, because again, we have to play in the, the sovereignty of God and the free will of every man into this deal, but because it's the right thing for us to do as children of God. Uh, and so for us to consider that it is never too late to start and that God is in the redemptive process, that he longs to redeem uh, every situation for his glory and for our good. And so just as you go from here, maybe you've heard some things, uh, not just in here, but maybe throughout the weekend going, man, uh, where do I even start? Start by being obedient. Uh, make the next right choice, whatever that may be, and honor Christ in that. So, thank you guys. We know we ran a little over yeah, time. And I, and I would just say, too, like there's things we didn't talk about, like sex, right? We are talking to our kids about that. If anybody wants to know about that, come on up afterwards. Um, you know, and, and we'll tell you kind of how we're processing through that. Or if you've got any other questions at all, just, just we'll be here um, standing around. And I believe out in the lobby there's Hagen Dazs ice cream bars. So yes, we got a 30 minute break. At 2:30 we'll be back in that room there and finding 7-Eleven ice cream. Look, we're gonna Russ is gonna pray for us before we go and we'll do that. Perfect. Pray <laughs> over the ice cream. I'll yeah. go. <laughs> Well, God, thanks so much for uh, just the stewardship that you've given us. God, we are humbled that you would um, look at us and give us this amazing gift of children. And so, God, will you help us to be faithful with that opportunity, with every opportunity we have to love them, to shepherd their hearts. And so, Lord, we thank you. And, uh, uh, Lord, we ask for your strength, your wisdom. God, we cannot do it on our own. We pray that you would be our ultimate authority in the way that we uh, love and shepherd our kids. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.